Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Hello, beloved. Hello, beloved family. I'm so happy to be with you. And um, this is going to be our last live program with you this week, because tomorrow, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, um, the Station of the Cross is going to be playing all of EWTN's music and programming. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful two days. Really beautiful. And this is the last program I've pre-recorded for you because we are in our new home in the Diocese of Salina, Kansas. And we're not in our new home yet. We are, um, <clears throat> we're looking for a home. We're in temporary quarters uh, by the generosity of, of the church. Um, and we're looking for a new home. Uh, we are in the little town of Beloit, um, I, Bethlehem Beloit. That's some, there's a syllable missing. Little town of Bethlehem, little town of Beloit. It doesn't work. But um, <clears throat> we are truly, truly wonderful. We look. It looks like we may have found the only place that is possible for us with land in that little town. <clears throat> but it's a bit expensive, so we need to figure out um, what God will have us do. So please pray for us, and um, we pray for you every single day, uh, and we love you. So right now, <clears throat> here in our little priory in Tulsa, we've been reading through this book. It's A Monastery Journey to Christmas uh, here with us and the sisters, and it's truly, truly, truly beautiful. Um <clears throat> And I'm going to go to December 24th, which is tomorrow, since I won't be with you live. <clears throat> and it begins by um, the prayer of Vespers in the Byzantine Catholic Church. And it says, Be glad and rejoice, O Bethlehem, land of Judea, for from you the Lord shines forth as the dawn. Give ear, you mountains and hills, and all lands surrounding Judea, for Christ is coming to save the people whom he has created and whom he loves. And then the antiphon for um, uh, Christmas Eve morning is Bethlehem in, Jude, Bethlehem in Judah's land. How glorious your future. The king who will rule my people comes from you, comes from Judah, comes from Israel. And then from a sermon um, <clears throat> on um, uh, in, on Christmas, let us again and again make our way to Bethlehem and gaze upon this word made flesh by Almighty God, who has become a little one. In this visible word cut short, we may learn the wisdom of God, which has become humility. And I'll just read their small reflection, dear ones, and then at the um, and the half hour break or before will take your uh, your emails. You won't be able to call in today because it's a brand new program, but it's pre-recorded. But you will be able to email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. <clears throat> I'll read this. The people of Israel survived 
the tribulations of the centuries because they continued no matter what to hope and to hold to God's promise. And beloved, I say in the midst of all our craziness today, all the apostasy within the church and all the um, evil without, uh, we need to hold also to the hope of God's promises because he will never fail. He will never, ever, ever, ever fail. He is God. He cannot fail. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is faithful. When we're not, God remains faithful. To continue this, they believed in the partnership, a special pact, the alliance that God had made with them, Israel. Throughout the centuries, they listened to the prophets who spoke to them God's word and who reminded them of this promise. The prophets announced repeatedly to Israel's people that the Lord would send them Perhaps soon, the Lord would send them soon a liberator, a savior, a Messiah. The pious people of ancient Israel believed in God's promise, and so they waited patiently for the arrival of God's anointed one. From the prophet Micah, they learned that the Messiah, like David his ancestor, would one day be born in the tiny town of Bethlehem. We shall not be surprised about this, for the Almighty always makes use of the smallest, humblest, and most obscure places to reveal himself. As we approach Christmas, it is time for our own personal journey into Bethlehem, in one of the most beautiful Byzantine antiphons of the pre-feast of the Nativity. We read this. Let us celebrate, O you people, the four feasts of the Nativity of Christ, raising our minds on high. Let us in spirit go to Bethlehem, and with our inner eyes, let us look at the mother-to-be as she hastens to the cave to give birth to our God, of all. Joseph, when he beheld the marvel of this wonder, thought that he saw a mortal wrapped as a babe in uh, in swaddling clothes. But from all that came to pass, he understood that he was the true God, who alone grants mercy. Let us indeed raise our minds on high, and in spirit, um, and, and in spirit, I'm sorry, let us indeed raise our minds on high and in spirit. Uh, let's journey to Bethlehem to contemplate the great mystery in the cave for paradise. Hold on. For paradise is open <clears throat> once again. When from a pure virgin, I know that's light is getting to you, isn't it? When from a pure virgin, God comes forth perfect in his divinity, as is in his humanity. He does not give up his divinity for his humanity, my beloved. He held the world together from the manger, 100% God, 100% man. Today, in our times, Bethlehem is not just a village in the Middle East. For us as disciples and followers of Jesus, Bethlehem is a spiritual condition of heart, of mind and heart, in which we are all invited to abide. For it is there, in the very depths of our hearts, that Christ wishes to be born today. 
<coughs> Excuse me, hold on. <coughs> Hodie Christus natus est nobis. Christ has been born for us today. The center of our hearts is the very cave in which Jesus wishes to be born today. It is our hearts, therefore, that we must eagerly prepare today. It is our hearts that we prepare to welcome him and as the place for his dwelling. Again, the haunting hymn from the pre-feast of the Nativity, as it sings, it also inspires us with its most tender, powerful words. Prepare, O Bethlehem, for paradise has been opened to all. Adorn yourself, O Ephrata, for the tree of life blossoms forth from the virgin in the cave. Her womb is a spiritual paradise, planted with the divine fruit. If we eat of it, we shall live forever and not die like Adam. For Christ comes to restore the image which he created from the beginning. Similarly, on Christmas Day, when Christ is born in our innermost the tree giving new life shall be planted deep within the cave of our hearts. Hold on, beloved. By the grace of the Holy Spirit, we are invited to partake of its fruit and rejoice in the fullness of life being offered to us as it was once to Mary, the true God-bearer who carried him in her blessed womb for nine long months. Make ready in haste, O Bethlehem, for paradise is opened. Salvation enters the world and the curse destroyed. Prepare, make ready, O hearts of righteous people. Instead of myrrh, bring songs as a wise offering. Receive, therefore, salvation and immortality for both your bodies and souls. Behold, the master arrives to lay in a manger and he urges us, to complete our spiritual songs, let us praise him without ceasing. O Lord, glory to you. A modern writer apply, aptly describes the transient role of Tiny Bethlehem played in the overall divine plan. I love reading of Tiny Bethlehem because we are now in tiny Beloit, Kansas. It is tiny. <clears throat> I think someone said it had 5,000 people, so that's quite small. A modern writer aptly describes a transient role Tiny Bethlehem played in the overall divine plan, and I'm going to tell you that role as soon as we come back from our break, dear ones. Don't go away. You won't be able to call in again because today is pre-recorded, even though it's a brand new program for you, but you can email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
Love learning more about the church, but confused or disheartened by the struggles we are facing today? Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook, Twitter, or sign up for LifeSite Catholic emails and stay up to date on the constant stream of news about the Catholic Church. Our church is in a time of crisis, and we as laity have a responsibility and a duty to educate ourselves and stay true to the faith. LifeSite News Catholic is dedicated to keeping the laity informed and educated. To follow us, go to Facebook or Twitter and search LifeSite News Catholic. As Mother Miriam always says, we must live as if it were true. This is Rick Paolini and Father Jacek Mazur. Join us every Sunday morning. We'll be delving into the diary of St. Maria Faustina and discussing the topics important in your life. Whether you're wrestling with willpower or praying for patience, God uses the diary to speak to your struggles. So tune in for Divine Mercy in My Soul every Sunday morning at 11. And catch the Encore presentation every Tuesday evening at 8. Jesu ufam tobie. Jesus, I trust in you. Hi, this is Terry Barber from the Terry and Jesse Show. We bring you the gospel with clarity and charity. If you have any questions about the faith or what is happening in the church, be sure to tune in at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 Pacific. You can call us during the show, 888-526-2151. The Terry and Jesse Show, weekdays, 2 p.m. Eastern, on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network and heard around the world on the iCatholic Radio app. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is Wednesday, uh, the day before Christmas Eve, two days before Christmas, and we are reading um, just a little bit more from the a Monastery Journey to Christmas. Um, it's so, so beautiful. We're reading through this in our own priory with the sisters. Um, let me see where I... Uh, left off. Yes, a modern writer aptly describes the transcendent role that tiny Bethlehem played in the overall divine plan. Christ was born in the first century, yet he belongs to all centuries. He was born a Jew, yet he belongs to all races. He was born in Bethlehem, yet he belongs to all places and countries. I'm going to read a little more um, into um, I guess it'll come even into Christmas Day. God is with us because I won't be with you the next two days. I mentioned uh, prior to this first break that Station of the Cross is going to be playing for both Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, uh, the full programming, music, and everything else from EWTN. It's going to be two very beautiful days. Um, so now... Uh, from the Byzantine Christmas anthem, God is with us. Understand all you nations and submit yourself, yourselves, for God is with us. 
our Christmas liturgical celebration officially begins with the singing of the first Vespers of the Nativity on the early evening of December 24th, Christmas Eve, as we process into the chapel and venerate the beautiful Nativity icon, we hasten to celebrate in song the Lord's arrival in our midst. Our chanting begins with the customary blessing for solemn feasts, glory to the holy, consubstantial and undivided trinity, etc. This is obviously written by Byzantine Benedictine monks, and it's just very, very beautiful. Immediately after, we intone and sing three times the short Byzantine anthem that presides over all our monastic offices during the Christmas season. God is with us. God is with us. Understand all you nations and submit yourselves and submit yourselves for God is with us. These initial lines found in the book of Isaiah are chanted and repeatedly um, over and over in our offices. They remind us profoundly of the true meaning of Christmas. The Lord has arrived and entered our world. He is now truly Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah's prophecy is today fulfilled. God's promise to his people becomes today a permanent reality. As we sing and repeat the short anthem, we proclaim our faith in the mystery that God is indeed with us, that the word became flesh to become Emmanuel, to dwell among us. God's prophetic word is plain and clear in its solemn proclamation from from Isaiah chapter 9. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. Upon his shoulder dominion rests. They name him Wonder Counselor, God Hero, Father Forever, Prince of Peace. His dominion is vast and forever peaceful. On Christmas Day, on the very depths and mystery of the Holy Night, Emmanuel, the Christ child, is born unto us. God appears on earth, and he is in truth one with us. All peoples of the earth are called to acknowledge that he, Emmanuel, is indeed the Messiah, the Anointed One of God, and therefore all of us must submit to him. Christ, Emmanuel, is the light of the world, and he comes to free us from the darkness we are engulfed in. He comes to make us free and to share his very life with us. We submit to him in complete freedom and joy for his infinite love. He came to save us, to be one with us. Can you imagine in the, the old covenant, we could on, couldn't look on God and live. We could not even look on God and live. The people before whom he appeared, the people Israel, would appear before him on Mount Sinai in Exodus, and they had to, in preparation for being before the mountain at a distance, they couldn't speak. Excuse me, they couldn't touch the mountain. They couldn't do anything. They stood there and trembled. And to prepare for being even a distance before the mountain, they had to bathe. They had to refrain from marital relations. They had to confess their sins. They had to come before the God of the earth, holy. 
And we don't live that way today, beloved, but, but certainly God is calling us to it. No different today than then. More now today, because God has come near, and God is with us. Christmas Eve, the door on the latch tonight, the hearth file, the hearth fire is aglow. Let me start that again. The door is on the latch tonight. The hearth fire is aglow. I seem to hear the passing feet, the Christ child in the snow. My heart is open wide tonight for stranger kith or kin. I would not bar a single door where love might enter in. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. This is our hymn. It's a French Christmas carol. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Beloved, we can continue reading this. It's, it's quite beautiful, but look at this. Look at this. Oh, holy night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would come to earth this night as a little babe, the second person of the Blessed Trinity. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, dearest, is a triune God. It is the triune God of Abraham, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. It is the second person. Each each God, um, the same consubstantial with the Father. Each one is fully God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. They are. There's only one God. They are three persons, not three gods, three persons in one God. And the God of love, who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, sent his Son to be born by the Holy Spirit um, into a virgin, Mary, a 15-year-old Jewish girl, and he would become God with us. And he grew up among us. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. The dear Savior's birth. It is God. He is the Christ. Christ is the English word for the Hebrew Mashiach, which is Messiah. He is the Messiah. He is the Redeemer. He is the Deliverer. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining, waiting for his coming, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. When he appeared, when we meet him, when we see him, even if it's tomorrow, beloved, even if it's Christmas Eve, your soul, come to him. Talk to that little baby in the manger and your soul will feel its worth. Tell him that you want his forgiveness, that you want to be born again, that you want to belong to God. He will help you. He will lead you, beloved. I remember, um, I'll never forget it, my first Christmas with all these Christmas carols, which I went to public school, so I sung them in my Jewish young life in public school. They were nice music. They didn't mean anything to me. Um, I knew they weren't ours. 
Excuse me. So sorry. I knew they were Christmas hymns, and I knew Christmas had nothing to do with us. I didn't know what it had to do with, but it had nothing to do with us. But I sang them with everybody else, not even understanding the words in our assembly in the public school. But then I came to Christ, gave my life to him in October, and my first Christmas in church. No, not in, even in church. Yes, my first Christmas before before Christmas Eve, I went shopping in a supermarket, and they were playing Christmas music. And I heard for the first time a song that I had probably sung all my young life, Joy to the World, the Lord Has Come. And now for the first time I heard it from the loudspeakers of the supermarket, and I stood paralyzed out loud from the speakers all over the store, it said and sang, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. I tell you what, I stood frozen. I couldn't believe it said that. The Lord has come. I couldn't believe it always said that, and I never heard it. I even sang the words, and I never heard. But Jesus says, in hearing, they don't hear. And all of a sudden, my ears were open because I was a brand new Christian, and I heard, and I realized that that music was being played all over the supermarket, that everybody could hear it, but deaf and blind. And I wanted to stay there and scream, stop shopping, listen, stop shopping and listen. Oh, it was unbelievable that the gospel Savior, Lord at his birth. He didn't become Lord. He was Lord at his birth. I just, I couldn't believe it. Took my breath away that it said that, that it always said that, that it was always public. And look at today, dearest. Now uh, the Macy's store windows no longer have the display of that little baby. They have little Martians, snowmen Martians or whatever they have. And the, the, the scene in the Vatican is so, uh, I don't know the word, to describe awful, awfully enough. It is an abomination at the Vatican, the Christmas, the manger scene. How on earth have we come this far? How on earth have we come so far from God? Has evil penetrated our souls that we would want to wipe out the very message of Christmas the beauty of the manger, God made man. And that's what they've done at the Vatican. They did it this year. They did it last year. And now in all the store windows, no more beautiful scenes of the Christ child in the manger and the true story of Christmas. No more. Every atrocity under the sun. It is absolutely, to me, it's more than heartbreaking. I find it actually frightening. Absolutely twilight zone like the planet of apes. Uh, just awful. Well, there's our music, beloved, so I will cut off my complaining, um, and um, we will come back. We'll take your emails, not your phone calls. We'll be right back after the break. You can't email at mother at the um, other, mother at the station of the cross.com, and um, we'll be right back. Don't go away.
The future of the family is grim. As Our Lady of Fatima said, the final battle will be for the family. It truly seems as though we're in the heat of this final battle and we need your help. Our mission at LifeSite News is to educate and activate readers with the information they need to defend life and the family and restore Christian culture. We are currently the most popular pro-life website on the internet with over 40 million unique users every year. And we've been experiencing an even bigger reach than ever this year. But we need your help to reach more of the 7.7 billion people on earth if we are to truly succeed in changing the culture. Please consider donating to help our mission of promoting the culture of life and fearless defenders of the faith like Mother Miriam. Visit give.lifesite.news.com to give today. Thank you for your support. Join us here on the Station of the Cross for the Liturgy of the Hours at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern with the Office of Readings read at 3 o'clock. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus tells us, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The Liturgy of the Hours is also known as the Divine Office and is the daily prayer of the Church. So you know you'll be uniting your prayer with priests, religious, and laity throughout the world. It's comprised of small reflections, readings from sacred scripture, and writings from saints and theologians. To learn more about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. That's thestationofthecross.com. Pray with us each day at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We have the whole half hour all to ourselves. Um, and I'm going to be taking your emails Um uh, we won't be able to take your calls live this week because these programs are brand new and fresh for you, but they were pre-recorded last week with all the emails that were sent in. Uh, but we'll continue taking emails, but we won't be able to take your live calls, dear ones. You can email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. And we have an email from Susie who writes, dear mother, <clears throat> I have definitely been to we baptisms that's uh, we the word we in quotes we baptisms because i remember at the time thinking that it was so beautiful and i was touched to hear that i, I don't uh, susie i don't know what a we baptism w e is so um um, so be it. I'll continue with your email. During that period, I thought I was Catholic. I've come to the realization a few years ago, by the grace of God, that I had been living as a Catholic in name only, thinking I was a very spiritual person. So dumb. I've confessed all this. Thank God it's over. Now, blessed be God, uh, Susie. <clears throat> Susie writes, but I am now concerned over the legitimacy of my children's baptisms. Their godparents were also Catholics in name only. 
And I know for a fact that they weren't even paying attention to the priest during the sacrament. I know this because the priest had asked for the godparent to place their hands on my baby during a blessing, and they did not. They did not follow nor respond in any way. Is that okay? I don't know what efficacy or lack of it that would have. Um, I, I don't think it would negate the baptism. Um, I, I can't say that exactly. I don't know. Um, also, I am a godmother to four children. One of them is big, and his parents have not gotten him to First Communion. I've been trying to lead this family by speaking to them and encouraging family rosary. I've sent them beads and Catholic books that I love. They've even said the rosary for this encouragement. I will be, will I be held accountable for my godson not receiving the sacraments? You know, Susie, um, I think uh, trying to... um, uh, let me see now, uh, one of his parents. So I'm guessing they were baptized because you're saying one of them is big and his parents have not get, gotten him to First Communion. Um, I'm guessing he was baptized. And what you need to say to them is he's baptized Catholic. And if you're not taking him to church, then you're leading him to commit mortal sin. And... Um, uh, if you consider yourself Catholic and you're not going to church on Sunday, it's the same. In other words, um, uh, the family rosary is good. Uh, books that you love are good, but that you need to explain to them that if they want to go to heaven and they call themselves Catholic, they, there are th- certain things they absolutely must do. And one of them is go to church on Sundays. Uh, and be in a state of grace, which means they would need to go to confession first if they've committed any mortal sins. Um, And you need to tell them those things. You are accountable for telling them that. Um, And um, they have, uh, let's see now, Um, I am also godmother to a set of twins, but I'm not active in their lives at all. This is a longer story of history of issues between his parents and the rest of the family. We do not speak. This is a separate topic, and it's too long to explain as to why. I pray for these twins, and they have received the sacraments, but I'm not in their lives at all. Will I be held accountable? Um, Yes, since you're their uh, godparent, you will be held accountable, not for the bad choices they make, but for continuing to be in their lives and as you are able. And so if they will not speak with you, um, you at least need to write or call them or write them a letter and say that, um, I, I, I can't tell you how much I regret that we're not able to be in touch. I want you to know I pray for you every day and am here for you with anything you'll ever need. But if you're not going to be in touch with me, it's impossible for me to continue truly as a proper godparent. And you might want to get yourself another godparent who you can be in touch with. It's quite it's quite important. So I would have those communications with them. Um and um, ask them uh, f- for their apologies for anything, f- for any failure you've uh, uh, been toward them um, or toward God yourself, um, and say that you'd like to restore that. But obviously, um, if you're not in touch, you cannot be a godmother, godparent to them, and suggest to them that you'll continue to pray, but they may want to assign another godparent to them. 
We have an email from someone who writes in anonymously. Dear Mother, what should I do about entering churches where there is communion in the hand? I do not want to step on Jesus. Also, should I urge local priests to remind the people about mortal sin and receiving only in a state of grace? Well, on the second matter, should you urge local priests to remind the people about mortal sin and receiving in a state of grace? Um, I would only do that if you know that there are certain people who are receiving uh, the Holy Eucharist and they're not in a state of grace, or they're living together in mortal sin. Then I would go to the priest and say, Dear Father, I know there are people in the parish who are living uh, outside of marriage, in in intimacy, and you know, uh, committing mortal sin and all of that, and yet they're receiving the Eucharist. Um, I'm not here to deal with each one, but I'm wondering if if you might uh, at least um, give a message that um, they should not um, uh, be uh, receiving communion if they're not in a state of grace. Um, so, but if there weren't an issue with that in, in the church, I wouldn't ask the priest to do that. That's his job. And uh, we don't need to be telling him how to do his job. But if it is, um, if it's uh, Christmas, for example, where you have lots of visitors and many of them are not Catholic, and the priest is not used to uh, urging people uh, to receive only in a state of grace, then I would tell him in advance, dear father, my uh, family's coming and I know other families are coming who are not Catholics and would not know to not receive the Eucharist. Could you make that announcement at each Christmas Mass that those who are not Catholic and in a state of grace should not come to receive the Holy Eucharist, but can receive our Lord by this prayer in their heart? I think that would be important to do. Um, what do you do about entering churches where there is communion in the hand because you want, don't want to step on our Lord? Um, if at all possible, find a Latin parish where they'll only serve on the tongue. That's... Uh, that's the thing to do. Even if you have to drive a couple of hours, uh, you will receive, and so will everybody receive on the tongue. Short of that, uh, there's no other way to receive communion um, if you go to a church that will only serve communion in the hand. Um, when I do that, I'm also careful if I have to do that, even though I go to a Novus Ordo church who does um, distribute communion on the tongue, um, in a bit of a difficult scenario, but they do, I still am looking down at the carpet to see if I see particles of the host from others. So uh, that's what I can suggest you do as well. We have an email from Aaron who says, I'm Catholic and my husband is not. We practice NFP, natural family planning. We are struggling to discern if any type of marital embrace is acceptable during fertile times that we have discerned to abstain and postpone pregnancy. Several priests have told me that genital contact is acceptable. I would appreciate clarity on the matter. God bless Aaron. I would say absolutely not. Absolutely not. The idea is to totally refrain um, from marital relations. And... Um, uh, 
God did not make man and woman for genital contact. He made them for um, life-giving love, not to stop at any point, not to, you know, as he, uh, not to have a man waste his seed, none of that. None of that. People were put to death in the Old Testament for that. Absolutely not. You either refrain during uh, the week that you're most fertile, um, uh, and you you sacrifice and you read together and you pray the rosary together uh, and um, uh, do holy sacrificial things during that week together. Read from the scriptures. Truly give your lives to God. Stay away from fleshly appetites. Distract yourself by drawing near to God, and he will draw near to you. There's no grace that God will not give you when you seek to live and honor him. Um, General contact is not acceptable. It will be sinful. Um, uh, you're either, you either engage in life-giving love, which is fully open to life, or you don't at all. It's, it's, it, there's nothing partial. God would never have created our organs for that sort of temptation and exercise. So absolutely not. The priest may disagree with me. God has said um, uh, we are to obey the body he gave us. And um, uh, if we're going to abstain from matter relations, then we simply abstain, period. Um, we have an email from Kelly. Hello, Mother Miriam. Thank you for your radio show. I appreciate all of your words of wisdom and your witness to our Lord Jesus Christ. I have a question regarding making choices in life <clears throat> that might alleviate suffering and the consequences of that spiritually. For seven years, I was in an invalid marriage with a man who was abusive to me and to our girls. We divorced last year after many years of trying to reconcile and trying to get help and even trying for a convalidation. Our daughters are ages 8 and 11. We live in Los Angeles where my ex-husband, now let me, you're calling him your ex-husband through a divorce. I don't know the circumstances of your marriage, but I think the church would need to decide if it was invalid or not. If it was a marriage, um, I think the church needs to decide the consequences of that and if you are tr- if the marriage truly never took place. Because if there's any question on that end, um, then he's not your ex-husband. If there's any question about that, if you were married in the Catholic Church, um, if you were married, uh, you were baptized, uh, or one was Protestant, or both you were Protestant, but you had been baptized, even though you hadn't been married in the Catholic Church, you'd need to take it to um, your your um, uh, diocese. It needs to go through the, through the marriage tribunal for them to confirm it was invalid. Um, until that's confirmed, he's not your ex-husband. Once it's confirmed, he is. And so you say, our daughters are ages 8 and 11. We live in Los Angeles, where my ex-husband is from, and I'd like to move back to the east coast of the U.S. I believe Los Angeles is a horrible place to raise children, and I think living near my family, near a traditional Catholic church, surrounded by nature, in a town that has more wholesome values than Los Angeles would be good for my girls. I absolutely agree. My question is regarding suffering. Now, you could move to the East Coast 
because you and your husband have separated, uh, whether or not the annulment is granted or whether or not you need annulment, you can do that anyway. You just need the church's uh, uh, decree on that on paper to call him your ex-husband. Um in any case, you can move to the East Coast. She says, my question is regarding sufferings. Uh, throughout my life, on many occasions, I've had the blessing to experience our Lord drawing me closer to Him. Each time, it was through suffering. I am questioning if remaining in L.A., a great suffering would be more sanctifying to me and the girls than moving back East. You know what, beloved? Um... There is our final break, um, and we will be back right after the break. Don't go away. But um, you can send in your emails at mother at the station of the cross.com, and we'll be back right after the break. LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, Love in Truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. My name is Jesse Romero. I'm a retired Los Angeles cop. I'm a Catholic lay evangelist. You probably hear me Monday through Friday at the Terry and Jesse show. My new show on spiritual warfare is called Jesus 911. Every Saturday at noon, that's a Soul Patrol Catholic program where three cops on fire with our Catholic faith. You can hear this program around the world on the iCatholic Radio app. Jesus 911, Saturdays at noon here on the Station of the Cross Radio Catholic Network. God bless you. Keep the faith. The Catholic Current on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. These groups are getting all of this money and doing things, I think, that are endangering our sovereignty and endangering our safety. Uh, what is it about the culture that, that needs to be fixed or purified? Well, I mean, it's pretty much everything, you know, when we come down to it. Tune in weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross and iCatholic Radio for The Catholic Current, bringing Christ to the world and the world to Christ. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. 
Hello, beloved. Welcome back. You know, I think I zoned out just before the break. I have no idea what I said. You've heard of, uh, I just said to the engineer there who was listening to me, I said, you heard of sleepwalking. Well, I just did sleep talking. I don't think I knew where I was the last two sentences. I don't know why I'm so tired, dear ones. I am so sorry. But I'm going to venture for these last, uh, the 10 minutes of our final segment, and I'll take the email. So we have an email from Pam, and Pam writes, my 85-year-old mother, my 90-year-old father, my brother and myself have not heard much from my sister and her family for close to two and a half years. There was a political-based, excuse my yawns, but I'm awake. There was a politically-based altercation at my great-niece's christening, believe it or not. My sister and her family live in Canada and do not like President Trump. After that altercation, we have not heard from my sister. No birthdays, no holidays. Not even when my parents were going through serious medical situations, uh, including surgeries. Oh, dear. It is heartbreaking. Once in a while, we hear from my nieces. My parents are beside themselves and ask every day, what did they ever do to deserve this treatment? My parents are not perfect, but they are very kind, loving, and supportive, as well as bringing us up faithfully in the church. My sister started pulling away from my family, who was once very, very close. Several years ago, when I confronted this, my sister's response was, I'm very busy with my friends up here. It was very hurtful to hear, but I accepted that and moved on with my life. My parents accepted it too, although they were hurt. My parents were always there for her and her family. They were very good to them. My sister had cancer when she was 26 years old, living in Toronto, Canada. We drove up from the States every weekend to see her, as well as my mother, spending time up there taking care of her. Six years ago, my sister was diagnosed with colon cancer. Oh, dear. Despite the ill treatment we received by my sister prior to that, we were there again for her. Good for you. We were all helping her in every imaginable way. My mother spent time with her, taking care of her through her treatments, cooking, cleaning, proving, um, uh, providing emotional and spiritual support, etc. My sister was healed from that cancer. That's amazing. But believe it or not, the coldness and distancing from my sister grew worse over the past six years. Since that argument a few years ago, I have texted my sister and nieces to please pray for my parents when they were going through serious health serious health issues, including my 85-year-old mother being hospitalized for emergency surgery during the COVID crisis. My sister never called my mother from that time or other concerning times of serious health issues. This is enormously distressing, dear one. Um, And there's no way it's due to a political altercation. That's much more than this. She writes, I'm not on Facebook, but a few friends have indicated to me that my sister is full of anger and bitterness in her posts. I don't doubt it. Last week, I finally spoke with my sister. She was very upset and apologized for what she has done. I did as well for not calling her sooner to stop this. God bless you. Good for this. Our Lord... um, Pam forgives 70 times 7. He forgives us infinitely. That's what we are to do. Bless you for that. 
And Pam writes, I, my parents, as well as my brother, are devastated by this news of my sister's illness. We are all heartbroken. Doctors have given her one to two years to live. She was accepted into a clinical trial in Toronto. Please pray these treatments will work and God will heal her. Please, please, please pray for me and my family for forgiveness and reconciliation. Please pray for my sister for divine healing in mind, body, and soul. Please pray for my parents and myself to deal with all of this with forgiveness and for my sins and for God to forgive us for not bringing this up to my sister instead of accepting her wishes. We are all asking Could we have prevented this disease in my sister by doing anything different? We are all feeling a bit of responsibility for my sister's illness. Thank you, Mother Pam. You are not guilty. You are absolutely, Pam, not, not, N-O-T, not guilty for your sister's illness. If the illness has come because of stress, it is what Pam has brought on herself, not you. So, no, you have been gracious to one who has not been gracious toward you. So, yes, we pray for Pam. Continue to pray for her. Offer your sacrifices and pray that she will have a true heart of repentance toward God. If God is going to have her die, if he's going to bring her to heaven, that she would truly repent first. And if he keeps her on earth to repent uh, of all things, that will be great as well. But... um There's no guilt on your part. There's no guilt on your parents' part. This is Pam's doing. I don't know what's caused it. It's not a politically incorrect argument that caused it. I know that much. We have an email from Dennis. Hold on just a moment. I'll be right back. Okay, I'll be right back. We'll put a little placard up. Don't go away. Hold on, beloved. We'll be right back. Okay, dear ones, we are back. And forgive me, I, I'm just going through a sleepy spell. We have an email from Dennis who writes, <clears throat> Dear Mother Miriam, I was hoping you would answer a question for me. I'm currently in an RCIA class. That's the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults. And it has been a challenge. One of the few issues I have with what my teacher is teaching is, he states the Catholic Church has backed off the belief that the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. Well, I'll tell you straight out before I read the rest of your email, the Catholic Church has not backed that off. The only way to Christ is through Jesus Christ. The only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ and the church he established. He should not be teaching that Catholic uh, class, that RCIA, And Dennis continues, he proposed as an example that good Muslims who follow a similar gospel, no way, would also be saved even if they respect Jesus as the Son of God. He states the Catholic Church's new opinion on this is we don't know. Shame on him. And you you need to challenge him. You need to ask him to show you where in the teaching of the church, in the catechism, it says that. And if he will not read it, You can bring it to him in the catechism. 
If he will not read it, if he will not conform to the faith, you need to go to the priest and tell him what's being taught, and um, you need to go to a different church. Um, uh, Dennis writes, there are a couple of other beliefs that he expresses that I'm having difficulty accepting, but this is a big one. It's the biggest one. It's absolutely the biggest one, Dennis. One of the others is that there is no hell that is an eternity of torment. That's, uh, that's false. Jesus spoke about hell more than any other subject in the New Testament. He states the soul is just put in a state that is separate from God and or ceases to exist, but he does not believe and teaches there is no fire and brimstone type of hell. Um, Dennis, dear one, um, this is apostasy. He is not a Catholic. The, t- the one teaching RCIA is not a Catholic. You need to go to your priest. You need to what you believe is correct. There is a hell. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. But Jesus, um, read the catechism. This is uh, not just false and blasphemy, but... Um, uh, this needs to be stopped immediately. Go to him, go to your priest, and go to another parish if he continues to preach. Not only is he not qualified to be teacher, he's not a Catholic unless he learns what it is the Catholic Church has never um, denied. God bless you, and have a beautiful Christmas, everybody.